What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Red Nation News Podcast. My name is Soma Anali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. Joined by co-host Forrest Walker. How you doing, man? Hey, pretty good. Pretty good. Also joined by special guest Oliver Maroney, formerly of BasketballInsiders.com, now a free agent. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Doing well. So a good place to start is like I'm trying to I'm trying to, I'm looking at the NBA right now and I see a couple interesting stories that fascinate me. What's the what's your favorite store in the NBA right now? I think it's probably for me it's the Western Conference and when you dive deeper down into the Western Conference like that 7 through I'd say about 11 or so uh, that sort of area um, in the Western Conference just seems to be a talking point just because of, you know, how close I guess it could be based on some of the teams and, and what they have coming up as far as records go as well. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like, there's a couple of interesting teams that can make that can make a case for the eighth seed. Um, for, for me, the, that, that team is Denver. I, I really like what Denver is doing, and they're, an inter- they're probably one of the five most interesting teams going into the trade deadline this year because uh, they have just so many fascinating parts that teams probably want to pay a, a high dollar figure for, and I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what they're going to do. Um, that story for me in the NBA this year, it's, it's Joel Embiid and the Sixers. I, I'm just endlessly fascinated by Joel Embiid. Um, I, I was a big hinky defender, uh, process, truth, or whatever you want to call it, and uh, seeing the culmination of Joel Embiid and, and what the Sixers are right now, it's it makes me very, they're always a story uh whatever Joel Embiid's doing on Twitter whatever goofy thing he's doing and uh I just and basically like I, I really want to see that team when Ben Simmons comes back like when Ben Simmons comes back I want to see how good that nucleus uh of Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons and you know if they can snag something for Jaquiel Okafor at the deadline like I really want to see what that team in its final iteration looks like what about you Forrest? Uh, I guess what's most fascinating to me is this being kind of a snapback year, uh, like the overall shape of who's good and who's bad. Because remember last year, everything was sort of unexpected. You know, that was supposedly the year when the East was good again. And now we're sort of seeing everything going back, looking closer to how it was in the last few years. So that that's it for me. I like looking at the big overarching trends and trying to figure out if the East has actually arrived or not. Yeah, I I agree with you. So like, who's a sneaky favorite team? Like, who's a sneaky team that you're watching that you're really fascinated by, Oliver? Because like for me, that that team's the Clippers. I I'm endlessly fascinated by the Clippers because like I I think 
you know, like we tend to overlook the Clippers because they're right now, obviously they're injured with Chris Paul and they're, they're not at full strength. And like, and you know, we have, we have this running joke about the Clippers. And I, I just think, man, that team, when they're fully healthy, especially that, particularly that's the starting four of DeAndre Blake, Redick and Chris Paul, like when they're fully healthy, they're one of the best lineups in the NBA. And I'm, I'm just like waiting. Like, I, I think that's a, that's a sleeping giant. Like waiting for, I'm waiting for the playoffs, and I'm, I think they can make some noise. What's a sneaky favorite team for you right now to watch? I mean, the Clippers are definitely up there. I mean, you talk about what they've got coming back when they do come back from injury. They were playing very well to begin the season, and I think people were like, okay, maybe this is the year they finally get over the hump. Maybe this is the year they they exceed expectations or at least meet the expectations that most people had for them. So I think that's a, a definitely a good one to choose. But if I was to go elsewhere, I think. Another team that's very, very intriguing, and I don't know if they can keep up the way that they're playing, but the Washington Wizards, uh, I, you know, they've got one of the best backcourts in the league, whether or not you like them. Uh, you know, they're very polarizing. Um, I know for a fact that Bradley Beal and John Wall aren't on the best of terms, but if they're winning, I think winning cures all in this sort of situation. It's not like they're going to go out and fight in the back alley or anything crazy, but... <laughs> Um, they certainly don't, you know, necessarily like each other. And you've heard some of the comments they've done in the media to kind of, uh, point that direction, I guess. But, you know, when they're winning, they're playing well and Otto Porter's playing at an accelerated level because of how open he's been, especially from behind the arc. I think he leads the league in three point percentage right now. Um, and you know, that team is going to be dangerous. I think in the playoffs, just based on the, the talent that they have. Bradley Beal's really good. And I feel like we forget this every year. Like he gets hurt, and like he's just so damn good. And I love watching his game. Like, uh, and I, I, he's one of the more fascinating cases in the NBA. Of like when you're when when, when these guys are healthy. Like there, there's a group of, of players in the NBA I like to talk about, like Drew Holiday, uh, Eric Gordon, Bradley Beal certainly falls into this. Like when they're healthy, they're really freaking good, and we just forget about them. And like Bradley Beal is one of those players, and I feel like everybody forgot about him because of like you know obviously. Um, the Bulls were a mess last year, and now they seem to be back on track. And I, I'm fascinated by his career tra- career trajectory and where he ends up being in a couple years. Uh, basically, in the hierarchy of shooting guards in the NBA. What about you, Forrest? What's the team that's really fascinating you? Oh man, uh, I'm interested in this Grizzlies team, honestly, because I feel like. I feel like I'm interested in them in the same way that like uh, biologists study extinctions. Like I, <laughs> I, I want to know what it t- like what happens when a team dies, and I don't think they're dead right now, but like they're definitely in some kind of a weird twilight of like this particular version of the team. I think they're still really good whenever they're healthy or whenever they can like get their mojo back, but they're they're so weird. Like they're right on this border between like really good and threatening and kind of fun. And just like getting left behind by age and like the the NBA changing around them, so they're really fascinating to me. Uh, I think that's a it's a team I want to pay attention to. Yeah, and like we're starting to f- figure out like how good Marcus All can be when he's like in shape, and like yeah, like like he's like one of the be- like my favorite centers in the NBA to watch. Uh, I know everybody's in love with Nikola Jokic right now. I love Marcus All personally, uh, and I. <laughs> He's shooting threes. He's like this guy is delightful and amazing. He's an amazing passer, a great defender. He's I don't know why he's not more liked by everybody. 
he got like a hundred thousand all star votes or something ridiculous like that. And I'm like, and I, and for me, like he was like one of my like sneaky candidates to possibly start the all star game just because of how good he's been this season. Um, and now he's, I think he's kind of extended his career like a couple of years now because of extending out to the three point line. And I'm just like, and and I, I'm with you for it. Like I, I want to see what direction the the Grizzlies go from here. Um, you know, obviously, not all franchises have the same, you know, hierarchy goals. Um, not everybody can win a championship, and the the Grizzlies are are certainly one of those fascinating case studies where, like, you can be really good in the NBA and fa- and satisfy your fan base and satisfy your owners and just like have that period of time in your franchise's history where everybody just likes you a lot. Like, and I feel like the Grizzlies are probably like one of the key representatives of that of that kind of of that kind of narrative so this is obviously a rockets podcast so we're here to talk about the rockets um and the rockets are slumping right now the rockets are definitely in a bit of a rut they have won five they've they're five and eight out of the last 13 games and they've and they're shooting the three ball really poorly they're defending the the, they're defending at a the, the same mediocre pace they've been defending at all season, but their offense is at actually surprisingly 16th. And so when you combine that all together, it makes for a me- really mediocre team. Um, in your opinion, Oliver, like what are, what's the source of the struggles for this team? I think when you're not hitting three-pointers, it's extremely difficult when you are reliant on the three-point shot. And you know with Mike D'Antoni, you're going to jack up a lot of threes, but if you're not making them, there's a serious, serious problem because... Uh, not only, as you saw yesterday against Atlanta, they were getting caught on the fast break a lot, but, uh, you know, guys can't defend the way that they used to because, you know, in the NBA now, it's not just about getting to the three-point line. It's like creating space and getting open shots at the three-point line, which is a lot more difficult than people make it out to be. So I think what they're doing is, you know, they're doing all the things that they did in previous games where they were successful. Um, I just think that when the three-point shot is not falling, uh, and they're not getting as open. Um, you know, the confidence starts to starts to go down. And I think that just overall, you know, the vibe around the team isn't really what it was, you know, four or five, six games ago at very minimum. Um, you know, they're going to figure it out. I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily like an issue that you say, oh, they need to make a trade or we need to push the panic button. I think it's more or less something where, you know, it, in the NBA, it's all about, you know, streaks. It's all about making your shots and, and doing just the simple things. And uh, they'll probably, I mean, I would assume Mike D'Antoni at this point is going to have to go to back to some basics uh, and try and utilize some of these guys in a little bit different formation than we've seen just to get them going. Um, and then they can kind of build back up to what they were, you know, 20, 25 games or so. Yeah, and I, I largely agree with you. I, I think in Houston, like, fans are kind of scarred from last season. Uh, and, like, and, well, this, is, this is last season looking stuff, too. Yeah, it is. It is. And, like, and like I feel like, like even at the beginning of the season, like, Rockets fans were kind of tentatively optimistic about this team. Like, there's no way this team is that this, this good. Like, that, that was kind of a discussion we've had on this podcast a lot. Like, we were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And this kind of feels like it, although it might not, it may, it may just be a slump. Yeah. No, no, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I don't. I don't think so at all. I think this is a small slump, and you're going to see this team. Uh, I think. I, I literally think that they're they have potential to get to that 50 plus win mark. Still, I don't think there's any question about it. I don't think there's any. I, I would not be worried. And if this continues for another maybe hmm, six, seven games, then maybe you start to kind of push the panic button a little bit and say, okay, we've got a serious problem here. 
but for now i would like i said i'd still be uh, tentative to do anything crazy or, or go out outside the box to kind of fix this problem right now no i largely agree with you and i'm just trying to kind of describe how the fan base is feeling because like, oh no of course yeah yeah <laughs> my, my mentions have been ablaze like like you told me this team was oh. good like and stuff like that i'm just like oh. <laughs> yeah it's it's been, it's been like it's been rough. It's been rough. Like I, I kind of have to eat crow after every loss. I'm I'm trying to t- I'm trying to reassure the fans. Like I'm, I promise you, this team is still good. Like this team is still really good. Uh, and like, and I I guess like it, I'm I'm assuming this is because of last season. Like like it's really hard to kind of tr- trust this team again. And I feel like I feel like that's kind of why everybody's panicking. Uh, what are your thoughts on this for us? <laughs> Uh, so my big thought, which is, uh, you won't be surprised at this thought at all, is that, uh, everyone needs to calm down because it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like there, we have, uh, you know, there, there's a, tor- there's like a hurricane inside of a tornado inside of like an ice storm waiting for everybody at the end of the season, right? Like we're <laughs> in a situation where one team is so much better than everybody else that we're having a good time, but that good time means we have to ignore that the Warriors exist, which is... I don't know if it's fine, but it's what's happening. So it's just not worth. It feels like it's not worth worrying about this stuff. Like, yeah, they're going through a slump, and maybe they keep going through a slump. They're not going to beat the Warriors either way. So just like have as much fun with it as you can. Yeah. Oh I, I, man. Yeah. He, he for. I think you'll find Forrest is a lot more pessimistic than everybody else. Um, <laughs> like. No, I, I, I just think he's a being a realist in a lot of ways. I think he's being a realist in a lot of ways. But yeah. I, I would. I would. You know, with the the point of the Warriors, I don't think it's out of the question or a realm of possibility that the Rockets could give them a, a very, very good series. If not, you know, I would not be surprised one bit to see them in, in a Game 7 situation with a chance to, to win against this Warriors team. I'm not, I'm not even joking. This is not a play, and I don't want to get people's hopes up, and I don't want to have mentions that you were mentioning earlier. But at the same <laughs> token, I do think this team... Uh, they've shown an ability and a propensity to basically keep up with this Warriors team at times. And I think what was interesting to me, I'm going to go back to that Warriors game uh, with the Rockets and, you know, when they went to overtime and all the rest of it. But D'Antoni has not only changed this team in more more ways than one, but he's shown a versatility that he's never shown coaching-wise uh, wherever he's been, uh, he slowed that game down uh, in, immensely and uh, kind of ran basically the half court offense with James Harden in that overtime to kind of get them to win. And I think it was just genius. I mean, he slowed it down so much that Golden State, I, I think Golden State didn't feel like they were controlling the game. It was it was Houston controlling the game, and it was all a matter of just whether James Harden could make a shot or not. And I think relying on a guy like that to make a shot is not a bad decision. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I actually am really, you know, that's one of the teams, if I'm going to pick through the Western Conference of teams that could potentially beat the Warriors, the Rockets would probably be my number one team over the Spurs, uh, potentially over the Clippers. Um, that, that's who I'd have as, as kind of the team that I would watch out for if I was the Warriors. I'm going to surprise you again. Uh, I think that's totally correct. I think the Rockets are the team in the West who has, like, any chance to beat the Warriors. Bingo. And the Cavs are the only other chance that might. I just don't think that it's like a realistic chance. It's not a realistic <laughs> so. chance. You're definitely right about that. I mean, you, you. I don't know what you do on one through 100 or whatever, but I'd say you've got, you know, a 10 or 15% chance that, you know, everything falls your way. But look, I mean, the playoffs, 
as we've seen time and time again, things fall people's way, and somehow they end up in the second round. Somehow they end up in the Western Conference Finals, and somehow they end up in the the, the finals. Now it doesn't happen all the time, but like you know, so you saw Portland last year just get the the right flip of a coin, basically. <laughs> And uh, uh, the Clippers were injured, and the Warriors, you know, struggled a little bit for the first couple of games because they didn't have Steph. So, it's well, it's in the range of possibility, right? <laughs> I think I'll think I'll take a pass on that particular version of getting the flip of a coin. That that run for the Blazers <laughs> was not good for them long term. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, they could totally do it. They just have to start hitting threes. I think it's kind of what it comes down to. They have to start hitting some open threes and. Uh, experience would suggest that probably they'll start hitting open threes. They've been able to do it for quite a while, but uh, they won't. we won't know if they'll do it till they do it, I guess. Yeah, and I, I largely agree with you guys. I think the Rockets are definitely in that category of, like, potential upsets, but I, 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 I'm with Forrest. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but no. I, but the, you can still have a successful season, I, I, I would say, uh, without winning the NBA championship. I, and I, I, yeah. I think... I think that's what fan bases kind of like neglect. Like, like and this is something where, yeah. And I was talking about this with the, the Grizzlies, right? The Grizzlies had that amazing stretch for this past five or six years. Like, they probably weren't winning the championship, but like that's a that's a moment in their franchise history that we're never going to forget. We're always going to talk about this Grizzlies team. We're always going to talk about the grit and grind Grizzlies for you know years and years to come. And I think if you have something like that with the Rockets, I think it's fine. And I think. Um, I think the Rockets will rebound. I, I I still think that there's still some in this stretch. They've shown some holes that I do think they need to patch up at the trade deadline. Like I really think they need another wing. Like they desperately need another wing, and I, I'm willing to call it desperate. And like, because it's it's like they have nobody to fill, fill those dead Corey Brewer minutes. Like it's it's like like. When when Corey Brewer steps on the floor, that's basically like there's nobody on the floor. It's like a, it's like a fourth guy that's not there, like a fifth guy that's not Corey there. Corey Brewer's gonna sue us sooner or later. <laughs> he, but he, uh, he, he's just so yeah. bad at basketball. I'm, I'm sorry, he's really bad at basketball, and like having him on the floor is like a, a huge negative for the Rockets. And I think it's it's also a negative for guys like Trevor Ariza and James Harden who are having to play these excessive minutes when they really shouldn't be, and like. And like I think, I think these minutes add up, and I think like it could lead to shooting slumps in the future that you don't want to have. So I think, I think going after a wing at the deadline, I, I think that's a smart move for the Rockies. Wouldn't you say? I would definitely agree. I mean, I, I would, I would be all, all for them getting another wing. I mean, I've kind of thrown it out there that I think Wilson Chandler would be uh, an excellent kind of piece to this, to this puzzle. Uh, if you're talking about the Rockets in particular, because. Look, uh, the Denver Nuggets are at the cap floor or very close to it, you know, and in order to get over it, they're going to have to to grab some extra cap room, potentially get, get some draft picks in return. And I think that there's a way they can do that with a guy like Wilson Chandler and, you know, Houston sending out like Brewer and, and maybe a pick or something along those lines. I don't know how it necessarily works with the cap in, in full detail, but I think that you'd be stupid not to look into a guy like Chandler or, you know, even like a Morris or um in Detroit I don't know what this situation's like but there's a couple of guys that I think of that like are gettable without giving up so much that you're you could potentially risk what you have with with this team right now 
Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I my biggest worry, honestly, is that we're in a weird season where like everybody thinks they can be good. Like in the last couple seasons, there's so many teams trying to tank, but now teams don't want to do like they want to get out of that tank mode and get into like build for the future mode. And my concern is that like nobody's there's not going to be enough teams who are realistic about their their uh their futures and their options to want to take on a Corey Brewer so they can get like a pick or a prospect or something, which they probably should if they don't think they're going to be good this year. But I just worry that like teams like the Nuggets will delusionally think that they can, you know, they, they can make some kind of a run or just like make the playoffs or do something like I think people aren't going to want to take that hit is my concern. So we might see like some panic the day before the trade deadline or something. Yeah, and I still think there's other guys out there. Like, like Wilson Chandler is not the only guy on the trade market. You know, you got you got guys like PJ PJ Tucker, Courtney Lee's a guy that I really like for this Rockets team. Um, it's going to be tough to match salaries for that twelve million dollar contract, but I mean, he if if the Knicks are ready to blow that thing up and trade Carmelo Anthony, I mean, Courtney Lee's a guy that's very gettable for some teams, and I think I think there's going to be. It's not just the Rockets. I think a lot of teams would line up for a <laughs> yeah. guy like Courtney Lee. Well, the Knicks really need to blow it up, so which means they probably won't. But they also probably shouldn't trade Courtney Lee, so I think they will. <laughs> That's a good yeah. way of looking at it. Yeah, you never know with that Knicks front office. I mean, they, they can do whatever they, you know. They, uh man, that's that's a nightmare of a situation right now. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys that you could potentially look at and say, okay, well, this guy, you know, P.J. Tucker, obviously, is very well known to be on the market. Um, you know, I don't know if you necessarily want to go after a guy like Shabazz Muhammad, but uh, there's rumors that he's on the trade market as well. Athletic can do a couple different things for you, uh, potentially an upgrade from a guy like Brewer, potentially. Um, oh, oh, it's, and, it's not potentially. Anybody's an upgrade over Corey Brewer. Yeah, I, 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 guys, I say you guys that are speaking of it in pretty bad terms. I mean, look, he, he, no, he's I, really I know bad. He's not great. I he's know really he's bad. not great. <laughs> there, there's times where he's he's come off the bench and done some things for them where they've definitely needed it. I'm not saying that he's a great basketball player, but, uh, and probably far from it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, there's other options out there as well. Like, you know, you just look around the league. Um, even a guy like Lou Williams, I think that that's a guy that you look at and you're like, okay, well can't really put him at the three position, but like if we can maybe stretch some of our other twos out to a three position for, you know, a few minutes here and there, then you can throw in a guy like Lou Williams and at least have some, uh, some good offense. I mean, yeah, he jacks up shots, but he's been making an incredible clip this year as far as three points go or three point percentage goes. And um, yeah, like th- that sort of player is probably a guy the Lakers want to get rid of, uh, and they'd be willing to take on the assets or the extra draft pick here or there uh, to kind of bolster their squad for the future. Or I, I think even like a project guy like Robert Covington, like I, I feel like he's a very gettable candidate uh, for the Rockets because I mean um, the Sixers have talked about I mean moving moving on from Robert Covington, but I mean like if you can perhaps you know make it make it make a deal work, I think Robert Covington's a guy that you know like a very under the radar guy that I feel like Daryl Morey's more likely to make a deal for. Um, more than anything, because he, he he rarely makes the deals that we talk about. Like like everybody we talked about on this podcast, it's, it's likely not going to be somebody Daryl Morey trades for. He's probably going to trade for somebody. Oh. He's, he's going to trade for somebody we didn't even talk about. Like that that's kind of that's kind of somebody who I would think of um, an out of the box kind of guy to fix to fix this um, this need. I would call. Um, yeah, and I'm a good candidate too. Yeah, I mean, there's also the team that you played against last night. Tabo Cephalosha is on his last year of his contract. Uh, I know that he's not really rumored anywhere right now, but I think that that's a guy who's not only is his contract really cheap, but I think if the Hawks decide that they're going to go the other route or the other direction and you know potentially not make the playoffs, then 
there's another guy you look at and say, okay, well, they've got Torian Prince, they've got Ben Bree, they've got all these young pieces that are in Tabo's position. You can basically get him for a six-month rental at potentially a late first-round pick. I think it's definitely worth the value. Um, Tabo brings, obviously, defense and three-point percentage and uh, does the things that you probably want out of your wing players. And, you know, he's not going to play 30 minutes a night, so it's not going to be a handicap on the team by any means. So, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, we talk about all those candidates and – uh, it's just kind of what do you do if you're Daryl Morey? And, you you know, obviously you've got to make sure that you're not wagering too much of your future to get this piece. Yeah, the Hawks can probably afford to move Tabo given that they have Tim Hardaway Jr., who is uh, uh, electric- for, for, uh, for one quarter of the best player in the league. <laughs> and and he, he was a guy that we talked about earlier on, on, a, on an old podcast about uh, the Rockets possibly going after there's a lot of guys out there. There's a lot of guys out there, and I I also think the Rockets probably need to f- to find a stopgap guy at the backup point guard position because right now, if somebody goes down for the Rockets at the point at the guard positions, like if if Patrick Beverly goes you don't down, like for, what? What was that? You don't like Ennis? No, I I, I, I do not like Tyler Ennis. Um, and um, it's no offense to Tyler Ennis. I, I just think um. He's still struggling to find his footing in the NBA, and um, you know he, he couldn't find a he couldn't find rotation minutes on the Bucks. Yeah, and I'll I put it I'll put it this way: I would love for Tyler Ennis to be able to get a bunch of reps with the Valley Vipers and get his feet <laughs> underneath him that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of buyout guys. I feel like you could find at the backup point guard market. Um, you know, nothing necessarily right now, but I feel like there's those guys are always available. Uh, come. February, like late February, I feel like you can find those guys uh, for fairly cheap. Um, the Rockets already spent their room exception on Nene, so maybe they're gonna probably ha- they probably have to give up like a, a minimum contract or something like that for a a uh, a backup point guard, but somebody like that. And I feel like if you can fill those two positions of need, then we can seriously start having a conversation about this team. Because um, I, I I'm a little less optimistic than you guys. Like I I, I think um I think the Rockets are guaranteed to get out of the first round. Like as they're currently situated, and I think past that, I, I still think it's a coin flip. Like, I I still think that second-round series is going to be really, really competitive. I, I, I'm really higher on the Western Conference than most people. Like, I feel like like the Western Conference is still fairly really is still fairly good, and I, I feel like everything past the seventh seed is really bad. I mean, not ma- bad, but mediocre. And I think, like, that second-round series against a, a Clippers or a San Antonio, I feel like that, that would be a, a lot more competitive than people think. I don't think they're a guarantee out of the first round, even just because no. they have bad matchups against a whole bunch of teams out there. Like it's kind of weird, but I think yeah, I might agree that they're not only the biggest potential threat to the Warriors, but they also no guarantee they'll get out of any playoff round. Yeah, based on the way they play, I, I would agree there as well. I mean, there's really no guarantees with this team. I think you know if you're a fan base, and you guys were talking about it earlier, but. Uh, <laughs> You should just be happy that you're in the playoffs, uh, you know, year in and year out for the most part. And uh, that, to me, has always been the sentiment is, you know, you you do what you can with what you have. And they've done superb. They have all the pieces potentially in place to do to make a big run and to go far in the playoffs. But if they, you know, ultimately, if they end up with like a five or a four seed somewhere in that range and you know, they get to the second round. I don't think it's a disappointment by any means. Um, and I think that, you know, fans should definitely not take that for granted and, uh, or sorry, take, don't take it for granted. Yeah, exactly. And, and just make sure that, you know, uh, the team that you have as constructed continues to play that they're, they're capable of. I think that's the number one thing with this team is just making sure that you can get the most out of all these guys year in and year out, which, 
Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, those guys, you know, they've shown they have got the injury history. They haven't had any this year, but the injury bug, you know, that that needs to be straight away for a longer period of time than just half a season to make sure that those guys, you know, to make sure that you know that this team could potentially stay together long term. Everything about it is high variance. The whole team is the most high variance team you can imagine. <laughs> I think it's very much uh, an it's EV fun, thing. It's fun though, right? Yeah, I mean, they're you're always on your, trying you're on your toes. Yeah, and they have the management trying to do everything they can to like make their chances of greatness greater. But you know, oftentimes that requires a price of making your chance for failure greater. So uh, things are wild, but they have a chance to do something really awesome, but a chance that we'll get really disappointed. Yeah, I mean, you could always have a stretch in the playoffs where you're, where you're like Kyle Lowry and you can't hit a hit a jumper for, to save your life, right? And that can definitely happen to a guy like Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson. And like, I feel like this team um, is definitely more suited for that than any other team in the playoffs. And I I, I think I think it makes for an interesting um, I, I think it makes for an interesting team to watch going into the playoffs. Like, because if they get hot at the right time, they can beat anybody. And at the same time, if they hit a drought like they have these past 13 games, I mean, the, it's going to be very difficult to get out of that first round, as you said, Forrest, and perhaps make a compelling case to make the conference finals. Um, and I, I feel like I feel like uh, you brought up an interesting topic there, Oliver, about uh, locking up this, this core long-term. Do you feel like this is a core to keep for long-term, or do you think that Daryl Morey is going to be uh, willing to you know, take some risks in the offseason and perhaps go after um, some high-value for agents? I don't think there's any question about it in my mind that you keep this core together if you can. Uh, I don't think... I, and I'm on the other side of the spectrum. A lot of people will kill me for this. I talked about the Clippers earlier this week on a show and basically, you know, said it almost the identical thing that I'll say about the Rockets. If you have Chris Paul, you know, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, you keep them together as long as you can, because that's going to give you the fighting chance to continue to make playoff runs and continue to play well. Whether you get out of the first round, second round to the finals, whatever the case may be, I think you're giving yourself the best chance to win now. Uh, and you're not having to sacrifice anything. You let some of these guys go, and you you count on potentially getting another free agent or another person out there, and that doesn't happen, then you've totally lost out. And that's where I have a problem, is taking a risk like that where it's not really needed. Uh, you know, you can build around this core. You can keep, you know, Capella's going to get better. Uh, Eric Gordon, as long as he continues to play, I think he's going to get better. Um, Ryan Anderson, same situation. I mean, a lot of these guys have not had as much experience as you'd probably like in the NBA and the more experience they get playing with the same team with a coach like D'Antoni and a leader that we've seen this season in Harden, I think it's always going to be beneficial to keep that long term because anytime some team blows it up and goes after a bunch of free agents, it doesn't seem to work out exactly how they planned unless you're the Warriors and you get one extra piece. You know what I mean? Like there's it's a very still not different. Working out how they planned, yeah. <laughs> it's still it's still not working out exactly. But I mean, it, you know, to make it seamless or at least close to seamless, it's got to be one extra piece. It's not you know blowing up a team or changing it up so drastically. Uh, you know, the Miami Heat they struggled for the first like year and a half of their kind of situation just because you know three ball with the dominant players. You can't just like conform them together and just you know on paper LeBron and uh, Chris Bosh and, and Dwayne Wade, they work. Yeah, that, that works awesome. We've got this awesome team on paper. And then, you know, you still got to coach these guys. You still got to figure out who's going to actually handle the ball in certain situations and certain times. And I think with this team, I think you know exactly who the leader is. You know exactly who the guy is going to be late in games. 
Um, and that's like half of the NBA right there is just knowing who's going to have the ball, when they're going to distribute it, and knowing the plays, knowing the system, knowing how they play together. So I think being comfortable with the team around you is crucial in the NBA at this point. Uh, it may not have been like that, you know, five, ten years ago, but I think it's moving more towards team-oriented basketball where you're seeing, obviously, the more, uh, you know, the obvious things. The three-point shots are going up. Um, there's less, like, ISO, you know, ball-dominant kind of players that just hold the ball the entire time. And I think it's just going to continue to move that way. And if you're going that way, it's going to be more about which team's been together the longest, how their chemistry flows, how they work together. Um, obviously talent does take into account a lot of this, but there's a token, there's like a side of it that says it's not just about talent. There's also a lot more to it. Yeah. Uh, I think I, in connection with that, I think that the uh, model of, of the rest of the league, other than like the Warriors and the Cavs have sort of moving toward the, the one star type model where you have like one superstar with a bunch of, like quality players and then role players around them. I think it's been a yep. lot of fun. All these teams have been a lot of fun to watch and awesome. There's great team play. We just have like this uh, super team relics <laughs> waiting there and <laughs> ruining it for everybody else. Yeah, and I, I feel like like a lot of teams are kind of modeling their teams right, like to kind of face the Warriors in like their own unique ways. Like I feel like the Spurs have kind of tackled that uh, that size advantage that the Warriors so desperately. And I, I wouldn't say it's desperate, but the the Warriors could they could potentially attack the Warriors with, um, and the Cavs are kind of went after the offensive glass with their the, the structuring their the structuring of their team. And I feel like the Rockets are kind of you know they went after the motto of let's play like the Warriors, but let's let's try to make. Let's try to construct a team that can keep up with them at every step of the way, and perhaps beat them if we get hot. Um, and it's been interesting, I, and I, I've had a lot of fun seeing um, the various teams attempt, uh, you know, to make teams that could possibly beat the Warriors. I, I think the Cavs are still probably uh, more suited to that because they have LeBron James, um, and uh, I feel like he solves a lot of these matchup issues that we've talked about earlier, um, and it makes it a lot a lot more simpler. And um, and I, I feel like. He has the easiest. I wouldn't say the easiest, but I feel like he has uh, the la- the less work to get to get to the to an NBA Finals. Um, and I, I just feel like I just feel like the Rockets are kind of you know they're tackling it in their own unique way, and it's it's kind of fun to watch. But at the end of the day, um, I still think the Rockets need to go after like a a dominant front court player, not a dominant front court player, but just like a a really nice front court player, like a, like a Gordon Hayward in the in free agency, like a, somebody like that, or like a. If you can make space, well, actually, no, you can't. But if you can make space for like a Blake Griffin, but like I think, I don't think it's possible anymore with the designated player exception uh, rule. But like if you can make space for one more free agent, I, I feel like you can still keep this core intact and make a serious run at the Warriors that perhaps you can't make this year. Yeah, Who knows I, somebody's I, gonna shake out though. Yeah, exactly. And that, and the only thing is, like, wagering all in, and you've seen some of the teams that went all in on these guys. I mean, like, you can even talk about, like, Portland. So instead of, you know, instead of getting Hassan Whiteside, who his second option was Portland, or at least he came out and said that, and whether that's true or not is to be determined. But, uh, you know, instead of getting Hassan Whiteside, who they put all their chips in the basket for, they're now ending up with settling for a guy like Azili, who obviously hasn't played all season and probably won't for the rest of the season. And a guy like Evan Turner, which uh, <laughs> it just hasn't done much, you know. And, and so then this, I think the thing with GMs is they get hungry and they want more, right? And I, 
I personally, if it were me, I would bow out of the competition for guys like Hayward and I would go after the second tier guys harder than I would the first tier guys and offer them potentially maybe less money than what they'd be offered elsewhere. But the offer and opportunity to play with a guy like James Harden alongside Dan Tony in this offense and the way they play is going to be extremely an extremely effective pitch, I think, to a lot of offensive minded players because you know, around the league, there's guys who want touches on the ball and guys who want more shots. And Houston can offer it to basically anybody. I know that Harden's a ball dominant player in a lot of ways and fashions, but he's obviously become an excellent facilitator. And he's been that way for a while. It's just D'Antoni was the guy who kind of unlocked the treasure chest of James Harden's facilitative uh, nature. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of second tier kind of guys that you could go after for, you know, five, 10, you know, mid-level exception type guys where you're not giving out so much money and so much risk uh, to try and get one of these high-end free agents, and you don't necessarily have to settle for below these second-tier players that end up going to the Cavs or to the Warriors or to these other teams for vet minimums. So I think there's, there. yes, I mean, look, it's very appetizing to think about Gordon Hayward on Houston. Like, that's not, there's no doubt there. But I think that, like I said, the competition for a guy like that is going to be huge. And obviously he can, he can get more money in Utah than he can elsewhere. There's just a lot of things that make you him and haw about whether he'd actually want to go to Houston. And then at that point, do you even, you know, make the case and offer him that? And then when you do it as a GM, (laughs) uh, are you, are you going to try and get someone else in return for it at that point? Are you, you know, Gordon Hayward says no to you. What do you do next? It's like, you know, you had Gordon Hayward in your mind. Now you got to go out and get the next best thing, whatever that is. Let's get desperate. And I don't think you want to do that if you're in the Houston Rockets situation. Well, I, I feel like Daryl is a guy who uh, he kind of makes sure. I mean, other than Chris Bosch, because Chris Bosch kind of backed out at the last second. But like, he's a, he's the kind of guy who'd get a commitment first before he'd move on from some of his from some of his pieces, like Trevor Ariza or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, I I really don't see any problem in going after these guys. Uh, maybe that's just me. Like, I and, and like I'm definitely a lot more competitive than um, a lot of Rockets fans. Like, I, I I think I think it's worth going after a guy like, Hort, like Hayward and you know. Uh, perhaps you know trade a guy like Ariza at, at the small chance that you can maybe get a little bit closer at you know get reaching that elite contendership status. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm a little I'm being a little bit too greedy. This team is definitely fun. I I think they'll be fun for a lot of years, and I think I think um, I think you're you're always gonna have a chance to get to to get at the Warriors every, like every year if you keep this team if you keep this core intact. Uh, you're always gonna have that ten percent chance at possibly making something happen and getting hot in a series and you know maybe maybe mm-hmm. uh get, reaching a game 7 and it, when you're at, when you're at, when you make it a game 7 you know it's anybody's ball game right and we've seen that in the NBA so many times we saw it in the finals last year with with the Cavs right and so i feel like the the rockets are in that delicate space they they could also go on that same route you were talking about right cuz they have the rights to a lot of guys that i think are interesting like they have the rights to Alessandro Gentile they have the rights to a guy like Sergio Yol in uh, Europe and i feel like those are really interesting mid-level guys that get you a little bit closer to um you know just chip away at trying to get to the warrior status uh in in different ways than adding a guy like Gordon Hayward would so let's get to a, a more fun question uh and let, let's get into an argument who's your mvp so far James Harden that's <laughs> out without a doubt yeah I've been on this train all year. Actually, I came out and said it like probably two months before the season started. And then I actually talked to Patrick Beverly, 
who told me almost the identical thing, but then he added, we're going to, we're going to go to the finals as well. So, uh, that was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all on the James Harden for MVP deal. I just don't think there's anybody. I, I quite frankly think that there's, there's one in James Harden, there's two in Russell Westbrook, and then there's pretty much, you know, three, four, five, six in kind of a different category. Uh, so I think James Harden has separated himself from Russell Westbrook quite a bit. I think Russell Westbrook has separated himself from the other guys a little bit as well. But, uh, I, I just don't think there's any question in my mind that James Harden has been the most valuable player this season. And I, I feel like some guys like, um, like Steph has made a pretty good case these past couple of weeks and like Kawhi Leonard, yeah. Kawhi Leonard's been really great, uh, all season. And like this stuff is fun to talk about. Like I, I really love watching Kawhi Leonard play basketball, and he's been so good for the Spurs all year. And I, I don't think, like, I didn't think the Spurs would be this good, frankly. Like, like, uh, are you with me in that? Because, like, I really didn't think. I thought, like, I've trashed the Spurs a lot because I really don't like the way their, their roster is constructed. With um, there's a lot of defensive liabilities there, right? With Tony Parker, Lamarcus Aldridge, Pau Gasol, and they've made it work because Pop's just a wizard, and like I, and. I think Ka- Kawhi gets a lot of credit for that and being the second best team in the Western Conference, or at least record-wise. Um, and it's 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 fascinating. I, and I agree with you. I, I, my pick is probably James Harden too. Um, but I, I think some other guys have made a case these past couple of weeks. I think in any other season, it will probably be Kevin Durant, but we're not in any other season, so it's James Harden. <laughs> Y'all pretty much outlined why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's, uh, it, the problem I have with like with Kevin Durant is, the, and the only issue, he's been so good on such a great team, and he's been incredible defensively. Actually, the thing that people don't talk about a lot of is how good he's been on defense. But uh, the problem with that is he, you know, he got on a seventy-three win team, so it's hard to kind of prove to people that you're really that valuable when you're on such a good team already. So that's that's my only hiccup with Durant. And then when you talk about Kawhi Leonard, I, I thought the Spurs would be about this good. Uh, I was definitely against the grain in that. I think a lot of people were like, well, no, they lost Tim Duncan, the leader, and everything else. And there's definitely question marks coming into the season. But um, I think, you know, overall, Kawhi Leonard's been great. Uh, but he's not, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's unfortunate to say this. I think, you know, uh, two-way player-wise, I think he's probably been the most consistent best player uh, in the league this year, just based on, uh, you know, defense and offense. But the problem is the statistics uh, offensively, while they're good, they're not great. They're not astronomical. They're not James Harden. And that's where I think, you know, some of the old school voters do look at the statistics. They do look at points per game, the assists per game. And that's that's where my, you know, that's where I kind of lose faith in, in Kawhi Leonard getting too many votes for the MVP, unfortunately. Yeah, and I feel like like to, to, for him for Kawhi to be able to win the award, like that hype train should have started at the beginning of the season. Unfortunately for Kawhi, um, and if he would have done DeMar DeRozan and done that 30, 30 point streak for like eight or nine games, there's no question he'd be more in this conversation. But uh, he started off a little bit rocky to begin with. I mean, obviously the first game against Golden State, he did did well, and everybody looked at that. But there were some other, you know key indicators where you're like okay is he actually going to be able to take over games is he actually going to be able to do x and x and x and i think you know he didn't answer those questions quick enough uh which is unfortunate but that's yeah like you like you said if he would have had some statistical anomalies something different from other players then i think there would have definitely been a bigger case for Kawhi leonard through this season so far 
Yeah, and I agree with you. So um, that's been Oliver Moroni, formerly of ba- of Basketball Insiders, now the hottest free agent on the market. Uh, it's been fun talking to you, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, thanks again. You know, anytime you guys need anybody, I'm always here to to chat hoops. All right, guys, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Give us a good rating on iTunes if you join the show. Give us a good rating on iTunes, or just give us five stars. That really helps people find the show. And yeah, guys. We have Rick, a 175-pound frustrated man who's running late for work. And on the tracks, we have Bull, a million-pound freight train that takes a mile to stop. Let's see who comes out on top. You can't beat a train, so don't try. Stop. Trains can't. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. I've switched a lot of things in my life, but it's never worked out. I switched to being a vegetarian, but ate more bacon than ever. Every time I switch lines at the grocery store, I never pick the fast one. But one thing that totally worked out is I switched to Metro PCS and got a free Samsung Galaxy. Make the right switch, too. Move to Metro PCS and get a free Samsung Galaxy J7 with a huge 5.5-inch screen. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Plus sales tax. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details, terms, and conditions.